0: Good mornings and uh, greetings in Jesus' name this morning to each one of you. It is good to be back here in your midst this morning. Like Kurt said, I think it was, you yeah, me and my wife had figured it out a little bit, like six years since we'd last been here. And I think it was close to, uh, I believe, two years that we had come up here to worship with you. So it's good to be back. A lot of familiar faces and a lot of faces that have changed the youth group here has definitely changed. There are some that were sitting back with their parents when I was here last, but that's good. Life keeps going on. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's great to be back. It's good to see you all. We were excited to come up again when Kurt had asked us to come. Of course, the last couple of times when we come up here, it was a little more uh, relaxing, I should say. I've always been more the quiet type, and my comfort zone has always been at the back end somewhere, but God has... Uh, Called us to the office of deacon there probably about three years ago there at our congregation at Living Hope. So that had to change a little bit. And uh, it's not been all bad. It's been good. We uh, we enjoy our congregation there. I just would have liked to take this time to, to thank you as a congregation for those two years that we did come here. And we enjoyed our time here. We enjoyed the fellowship here. And uh, when the congregation started down there, the biggest factor on... Uh, Going down there was we have fifteen minutes to church now, and this morning it was still sixty five minutes, so that part didn't change. So uh but yeah, it was good driving up here. Like I say, we enjoyed it and uh usually always made for a beautiful Sunday morning drive, but we enjoy our congregation where we're at now, worshiping there and uh and uh happy where God has put us. So for a message this morning, uh it's a message that I I kind of like to talk about, or a subject that I like to talk about, and I entitled it, Building Together. And uh, for a little bit of an opening, several years back, uh, when I was younger, probably in my late teens, I think two years, I had worked for a construction crew, concreting, and uh, done a lot of concrete work. And one of those summers, the second summer that I worked there, most of that there summer we spent doing a lot of pig sites, uh, a lot of them would be two twelve hundred 1200 head uh, finishing barns that were side to side there. And we'd spend, a, spend quite a few, uh, a time at those sites. We'd come in with a bigger crew and we'd pour the floors. And then the crew that I worked on had five men and we'd come in there and we'd put the walls in. That was uh, our part that we did there. And uh, most of the time when we were working there it was by ourselves. But at the one particular site that we had finished up, we finished up the one building. And, uh, started on the next. We were doing walls on that one. And the building crew come in that morning, the one morning we come there and started laying out their studs and getting ready to build. And, uh, that day, I got the easy job off. Oh, I was a driver for a crew, so whenever something else needed to be done, I usually was the one that got to go do it. And, uh, we had some footers that needed to be dug uh, at another job that we were doing next. So I got the job to, uh, to go do that and spend the day digging footers. It was supposed to be a job that was supposed to take me about half a day, but it ended up being a little more complicated, and it was fun digging. But uh, that wasn't really the reason. But it ended up taking all day until I was finished there. And I got back to the job site like probably about 5 o'clock. And uh, what surprised me, that their building crew had had all the walls up on that barn. They had the studs on, they had all the purlins on, and uh, the majority of the roof steel was on, and some of those there were... Uh, putting, putting trimming on and stuff like that, you know. It was a lot of work that had got one done in one day and it just amazed me to see, to see that come together like that. And, uh, the part that kind of stood out about them, and my coworkers were there and they were kind of amazed too watching them all, the, all day, they said it was a group of guys that, uh, they just seemed to function well together. Everything that they did, it just seemed they all had their place, that they did their things. Uh, there wasn 't a lot of racing around and carrying on, but just kind of a steady moving together and all that working together it just it worked together well they they did a good job together and it was It was quite appealing for the for my crew to watch that day as that that thing come together and I often think of that crew when it when it comes into kind of the relation of our churches and of god 's people working together now what do they see from the outside we seen that day something appealing something working together. And, uh, you know, that crew had a mission to build, and each one of them played their part. And it's that way uh in our churches also today. And that's kind of what the, we're going to be looking at this morning, kind of the theme. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read that, even though I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, time there. In a couple places through Scripture, it references to... Uh, the church as a body, as a body of Christ, with Christ as head, or also with a building. Uh, Romans twelve and First Corinthians, or, yeah, Romans twelve and First Corinthians twelve both refer it to a body, and then I'll look at Ephesians a little bit later. That kind of refers it to a building. So First uh, Corinthians twelve, and uh, like I said, I'm not going to spend much time here. I'm going to read through the entire chapter. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give unto you, give, give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of ministration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh in all, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and selfsame Spirit, providing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many." and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and more uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but the that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you're the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet show unto you the more excellent way. And just several things that I want to point out in this chapter, uh, it's kind of a, uh, springboard here, but, uh, in verse four, uh, it kind of gives, it says that their diversity is a gift, but of the same spirit. And we heard this morning with, uh, Ellis's devotion, one God, the same spirit that gives these here gifts. And, uh, it's just a different, th- Different gifts that work together in a congregation. And I enjoy seeing that uh, work out in a congregation, uh, even there at home. You know, we got some that are excellent teachers. They have a, they do a good way of bringing things out that are easy to understand. And, uh, some, then we have some of the more quiet encouragers and those are the type, uh, that it seems to me you don't often hear much out of them, but yet it just seems they know when that encouragement is needed, whether it's through a phone call or a text message or just a note or whatever that may be. Uh, and of course then we have servers and quite a few others. And, uh, then in verses 14 to 23, it kind of gives that idea, it says all the members, all the members there are needed. Now if you are here as a born again believer, you have been given a gift somewhere or the other to aid the congregation. You know, not just for ourselves, but to aid that congregation to build up the body of Christ. And, uh, verse 20, 25 and 26 there, it says there should, there should be no schism in the body. And that word schism there would turn to, uh, or a translator could mean division. So, we have not to be any division in the body, to have the same care for each other rather than having a preference over one another. And then the next one, it says, when we all suffer, uh, when one suffers, we all suffer, and when one rejoices, we all rejoice. It's a body, it's an effort uh, of working together. Then flipping back just a few pages uh, to Ephesians. Ephesians two nineteen to 22 it talks of the church there as a building. It says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit." And uh, prior to this here chapter, it's kind of a familiar chapter, one we often uh, talk about. But he talks that we have been saved by grace. And then later on, the Jews and Gentiles uh, all brought together by uh, peace through Christ. Breaking down that their middle wall of partition and abolishing in his flesh that emity to make one new man. And no longer being uh, strangers and foreigners, but now we're fellow citizens of the same. We're all fellow citizens together and of that household of God. And uh all part of that building with Jesus Christ there, it says, as the cornerstone. And uh, maybe to us it would be more understood as a footer or a uh, a footer or a foundation, I guess we could call it. But that cornerstone was kind of the thing that set the building in order and was kind of the foundation or tied everything together. And uh, in the Old Testament when they talked about a temple, you know, the temple always often, indi- or the temple did, I shouldn't say often, the temple indicated uh, the presence of God. or That was where God dwelt among his people, and now the data is calling the believers the temple is saying that we are the temple where the habitation of God is, where God dwells where God dwells among us. I guess the main point from these two chapters that I want to kind of pull out before we go uh, further only you know it's it's God has designed us as a, as bodies as church bodies to function together he's given them gifts to each one of us. And uh, they're to use as a uh, they're to use together to kind of aid the body and to aid the church. We know that uh, it kind of seems in our culture the individualism or things kind of want to spring up among us. It's something there, but a quote that I've seen it says it says break a branch from a tree, and when broken it will not be able to bud. Cut off a stream of water from its source, and it will soon dry up. We need each other. We're there to aid each other, but we also need each other to stay faithful in this here walk. And in verse 21, going back a little bit, it says, building fitly framed together growth unto a holy temple in the Lord. And that word growth indicates that the church is still growing. The way that is word there is still growing and will continue to grow till uh, Christ returns. So the rest of the message I uh, split into two parts. I'm talking of uh, building together. I'm looking. I was thinking more of in a local body as we looked together, and uh, a lot of these things that I have to share this morning, I wouldn't necessarily say. Of course, I'm going to be applying it to the church, and in a spiritual sense. But you know, it, it can it can uh, branch out into about every area of life, whether it's in a workplace with a bunch of people working together, whether it's a family working together. Most of these will will kind of uh, be able to apply to adopt a lot of different areas. So I split it up. The first one is hindrances to overcome. And the next one is going to be the helps, which I'm going to spend more time. Helps, uh, maybe kind of characteristics or attitudes of each one. So, hindrances to overcome. The first one I have, uh, and I have quite a few of them, so it's going not going to be talking a lot about each one. Uh, I felt a little scattered when I did this. I like to bring it down to less points than what I did, but we'll uh, hopefully get something out of it. So, the first one is self-righteousness, talking of a hindrance to overcome. And uh, I think it's one that we can see... Clearly, or most of us know, you know, looking through uh, Jesus' ministry and the times that he had that he spent uh, talking with the Pharisees and many of them there, uh, he called them out quite a few in this time. The Pharisees were one that he just could not get through to. They had everything figured out and weren't going to take anything off of them. And Luke 11, uh, 52, he told them, he gave them kind of a uh, stern and rebuke them. He said, you enter not in yourselves, and then they were entering you hindered. So not only not entering themselves, but they actually hindered. They hindered the work of a Jesus there of God. And Luke 18, I'm just going to turn to that. You can turn. It's a familiar prayer uh, that we look at quite a bit of the uh, Pharisee and the. So Luke 18, verses nine to ten, and it says, and he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, exhortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I gave tithes to all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up as much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful unto me sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. And notice there in verse 9, it says that uh, and he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. This here man of the Pharisees, they trusted in themselves, and then and then afterwards it says that they despised others. Now it seemed to be kind of. If you think back over how the Pharisees were, they kind of wrinkled up their nose at a lot of different people that they didn't think uh, that they didn't think so highly of, or people that they thought were sinners. They really had kind of an attitude over them. It says they actually despised the others. You know that Pharisee there. As I look through that prayer and uh, just look at his words, it almost seemed like he thought he had no need of God or even Jesus, the cleansing blood. Now, he needed that as bad as the uh, publican here, but his attitude kind of betrayed that he really don't need that. And uh, we know God's, uh, what he feels about that attitude. The next thing I noticed about this man, he was the only person that he was concerned about. Himself and his image, how people looked. Now, he did nothing but talk about himself, lift himself up, and uh, push that, their publican down. And the other thing that I... Uh, see through the Pharisees just reading through some of the different encounters that they had with Jesus. And I kind of mentioned it earlier. You know, they couldn't be told anything. They were righteous in their own eyes. They had all their own ideas, and this was the way it was. And it uh, just could not be told. And uh, like I said, they did, really didn't need Jesus. They really didn't want to hear what he had to say, and they tried to hinder that work the, the whole way through. Uh, the first hindrance to avoid, self, self-righteousness. self And the next one that I have is uh, hypocrisy. And uh, really it seems like the two kind of go hand in hand. And I don't know if you can hardly separate them. They're kind of a different thing in a way, but yet with the Pharisees here and Jesus dealing with them, it kind of went hand in hand. And in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus kind of gave a severe rebuke of them. As you read down over that chapter, I'm not going to turn to it, but as you read down over just the rebuke that he had uh for those for those men, the beginning of that chapter there, he told the people the people he was talking to there, he said, you can observe and do, or, uh, I guess not observe and do, observe what they tell you and do it, but don't follow their works. So do what they're telling you, but don't follow their works. Because a lot of the times they knew exactly, they knew how to talk it, but yet they, uh, they didn't do it. And to me, as I, uh, look at that and just think about that, even in our congregation, you know, that can be, I think, a big confusion to a young believer, or a new believer. To be taught, somebody they're told by that, told something by an older one. But yet, when they look at their lives and see it, not portraying it, it's kind of like what? What does that actually mean? Are we missing something here, or, or how does that actually look at? So a lot is, a lot more is taught by uh, watching than actually a reading, and I, uh, or we learn more by watching than being told. And I think for myself, as I thought about that too. Oftentimes, when I'd like to do something, I want to learn how to do something uh that i'm doing new that i've never done before there's often instructions that come with it but i'm not a uh very detailed person that likes to sit down and read them so i'll quicker pull out a phone and try and find a video i would sooner watch it and it seems to make more of a connection with me if i can actually watch it and see it being done by somebody else than just reading reading about it the next one i have is indifference or uh lukewarmness or maybe an attitude of not really caring and uh this is what brought the rebuke there to that church in revelation chapter three you know jesus uh <clears throat> given that that rebuke there of being uh, lukewarm and I would say it's probably one of the biggest problems that we face today or something that we can really easily fall into the habit with. If you read about that church there it was a wealthy church and uh probably self sufficient a lot like our Churches are today we 're pretty self sufficient we have a lot we we can uh, we can make it on our own, I guess you should say materially or physically we can make it on our own and uh, it just seems that those two make us spiritual lazy and just for a little illustration, you know if you think back to the uh, the construction crew there where I started with and you know, that crew that we watched, they were intentional with about what they were doing they they had an intent to build they went forth and they were tending everybody. The whole crew kind of seemed to put their heart into it. They worked together. And if you take one or two of those guys in a crew or anything like that, I mean, this can expand to anything, whether it's a crew or even a game that there's teams been playing. If you have one or two or three that just don't seem to really have their heart into it and uh, don't really care, it just kind of affects the whole team. It affects the whole work of the building. It affects the whole work of the game or whatever it is. And, uh, it just kind of gets kind of frustrating when you have somebody that, that you're, that you're working with. I sometimes wonder if that's how God feels about us. When He sees us going about this spiritual life, just kind of haphazard and not really caring. Is that kind of how He feels with us? It's kind of frustrating to Him. It's not, it's not really helping, helping out. I know there's more that could be mentioned there, but I'm gonna kinda, I'm gonna switch over and look at more of the helps and kinda focus a little bit more on, uh, on that part. So helps, helps for the building. And the first one I have is, uh, unity, or unity in the face, striving towards a common goal. And, uh, earlier in 1 Corinthians 12 there we looked and, uh, seen how all the members of the same body with Christ ahead, crisis ahead the there, and, uh, and also at different times, it talks about having the mind of Christ. So I feel our worship and testimony should come from the entire body as a one mind, as one united thing. In Romans fifteen five and 6, it says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ, that you with one mind, one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians uh, 4, 13, after it mentions the different gifts of the teaching... And this is one of the reasons that it gives for that, for the different gifts there in the church. It says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. And then Paul there in uh, Philippians 2, uh, verse 2, he told the church of Philippi, Fulfill you my joy, that you being like-minded, having the same love, being a one accord and a one mind. It's a unified... Gathering, going together in one direction. Again, you could go back to the builders all having that one thing in mind, going together. And uh, there's definitely power and unity when we see that working together. And I believe uh, that it seems to why our enemy often likes to stir up that strife among the believers. Uh, there's power and unity. In the end of uh, Acts 2, I like reading through that there, the end of the chapter is where the early church started. And it makes mention there how they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And then in the next verse there it says, And the Lord added to that church daily such as should be saved. And the church was young there. And it gives a picture of harmony. And that church was, was being built. The people there, they worked together. They helped each other out. And, uh, you know, unity takes work. On uh, everyone's, everyone's part of working together, striving towards a common goal and uh, working through different, different issues or, uh, sometimes giving in to others, uh, in the congregation and trying to see things from a different point of view. But talking yet of that, back when I was, uh, back when I was young, there at home, I think it was back in Pennsylvania, we did it some out here, but we used to, used to, uh, buy these little ponies, and we'd buy uh, two of them, sometimes they were broke, sometimes they weren't, and we'd go about trying to train these things into a double hitch, which could get a little interesting at times once in a while, especially if you, I don't know how many of you have anything to do with ponies, some of them can have a mind of their own, some of them aren't too bad, but uh, the one team we had was one that always sticks out to me, it was a fun little team, the one was a black one with a white face and uh it had the sparks flying out of its eyes if you looked at it the thing was full of spunk and it was always a handful and the other one was kind of more of a laid-back uh brown paint one i believe but as we hooked those two together the uh the tame brown one was always one that was kind of kind of uh you had to motivate it almost to get it going you had to keep it after but the black one on the other hand was totally different that there one you always had to try and subdue somehow but trying to get those two ponies into a team to work together was a challenge. Uh, the black one was always go ahead. It was definitely a leader between the two. And you didn't have to crack the whip much on that one. And it was going. But the other one, it just kind of ran alongside. And, uh, half the time you had to keep a whip to it or it wasn't gonna, just wasn't going to help pull. It was just kind of, it was there for the ride pretty much you could say. The one was doing the work and the other one wasn't doing a whole lot. But, uh, so to try and get those two things in unity to pull together was the, was the struggle. But the, it, we did eventually get there. But one time I, I remember, I can remember exactly where it happened in the field. I think it's probably because I was pretty young and it kind of scared me a little bit. But we were driving along and the one did something to the, or either the black one decided to take it in its own hands that the brown one wasn't helping, I don't know what, but there was a real kicking fit that started there between the two. The one wasn't pulling, but the other one was. but. The point is to them, too, if they were both pulling together and had their mind focused on pulling together, there wasn't so much time for the squabbling and kicking. But yet when that one backed off and the other one kind of backed off, there started to be kind of a bickering between them. So I think it just makes a good picture, maybe an illustration of pulling together unity, pulling towards a, a common cause together. Next one I have a submission. I'm not going to spend much time to there, but uh, Ephesians 5.21 there in the chapter, a lot about relationships, it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. No, in almost anything to work in any type of relationship, there needs to be submission of uh, some sort. And we need to first, our ultimate submission comes to God, and then also uh, submitting to each other in a body as long as it doesn't go against the Scripture. And uh, pretty much everywhere else in the area, alike. You know, whether it's submitting to authority when we leave here, we submit to authority when we drive down the road. And uh, <clears throat> you know, church here or children to parents, whatever it be, whatever it is, you know, there is submission that needs to happen for people to get along and uh, for people to work together. And the next one I have is mutual love, or else brotherly love. And uh, in John three fourteen. Uh, it would indicate there that the true test of the Christian is actually the test of brotherly love. It says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And then going on there into First uh, Corinthians 13, right after First Corinthians 12, it's a love chapter that we call it. And it gives some marks of love. And I'm uh, just going to read kind of through, through some of them. i have them here in my notes. It says, Charity suffereth long, or you could say it's patience, it's patience, and we need patience with each other. We're human and we all have our, uh, our different, uh, things that we deal with. It says, love is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity bondeth not itself. It is not puffed up. You know, envy and pride have destroyed a lot of different relationships. And, uh, one that often comes to mind or one I want to think of, you know, Saul and David back when, uh, they're in the Old Testament. You know, Saul had a big problem with envy and pride there. And often wonders how that would have worked differently. If Saul could have, uh, could have worked with that and actually used David there as one of his commanders in the army. How could have that work differently there? But, uh, envy and pride were definitely a big problem with Saul that caused a lot of his problems there. Verse five, it says, do not behave itself unseemingly or rudely. Seeketh not her own or is always concerned about having, or always concerned about having its own ways. Is not easily provoked. Don't get angry easy, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. As you kind of look at some of those things, you know, we can see the importance of love among, it seems like it's kind of a binding thing among a group that covers a lot of different faults and stuff among, among others. If we can keep that there in the forefront, Now, true love. When I look at it, I often thought of, think of love as a feeling, but it involves action, uh, sometimes helping out. Uh, I was reading a book last night on the early church, uh, to come across this here, a story of, of, uh, a good illustration of brotherly love, how they practiced it back in the early church. And we can see it some in, the, there in Acts 2 that I talked about, but a, uh, a man there, a pagan man that had become a Christian, he was converted, and uh, his employment was one that, that uh, he was an actor, I guess, and a lot of his plays that he did were, had a lot of immoral scenes in them, and uh, idolatry, and uh, that was his job, so after he become converted, he realized, you know, this isn't going to work anymore, this goes against scripture, so... Uh, he thought, you know, since they don't have any other job skills, that was a job to have. He considered he's going to start establishing an acting school to teach drama to these non-Christian actors. But uh, before he did that, he went and gave his idea to the leaders of the church there for their council to see what they think. And uh, they told him that, you know, if, if acting, what he was doing was an immoral profession and didn't fit the Christian lifestyle, then what he's going to do to train it. Is going to be just the same. There's not really no difference. But either way, they said they're gonna ask the opinion from other church leaders. And uh, the others agreed with them. But the answer that came back to me was one that struck them. I mean, they told him, the other group told them, he said that, uh, no, since this man has no other job, and this was his profession, he don't know their skills yet. It's your job that, uh, to support him until he can find something else. And they said, if you are unable unable to financially do that, send him over to our congregation. We'll support him. So it was just that the thought that struck me, you know, the commitment that they had to what they were standing for, and they were willing to help out a man that they didn't that they didn't even know. I think it was true brotherly love there in action. The next one is steadfastness. You know, when I think of steadfastness, when I think of someone who sets out to do something, he's committed to the calls. He's not going to quit. Uh, put his hands to the plow, he's not looking back. And just flipping that to the other side, you know, someone who, do, I would say, who doesn't necessarily always turn back, but, uh, maybe not consistent. You could say not consistent to their calls. At one time they're all excited about something, uh, but after a time it just seems like they lose interest until the next time something gets them going and then we're off on that. And I found this comment or quote that says, it says, the church needs special occasions of revival and uplift. But they are only stimulants. The quality it needs more is the quality that makes its members not weary and well-doing. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. You know, a steadfast moving forward, a steady moving forward, uh, keeping on going. And Moses, when I think of the life of Moses, to me that's a great example of steadfast. When you look how Moses, uh what his life was there... With leading the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, you know, he faced a lot of different challenges, a lot of different discourages. It took him a little time to get go- going. God had to call him. And, uh, but once he got going, you know, it seemed like it was just kind of a steady forward for Moses. And he dealt with the people there with their complaining and, uh, the rebelling, turning to idol worship. And he was discouraged at times. Moses had faults, but on a, on a, uh, more general level or overall level, it just seemed that he kept steadily plugging forward. The next one is a personal influence, and uh, you know we're all people that make up the body or a church here. But yet each one of us uh, has an influence over our own. We give off a uh, personal influence, and you know, whether that's through the week as so we go about our work, uh, shopping, work, or whatever it is, you know, and often that result of that influence doesn't only affect us. Now sometimes we think that influence just affects us, but it. it it affects the church or it affects the body that you're from, whether from the outside or from in. And for a little illustration, you know, let's say we stop in at a place of business and an employee treats you with disrespect or treats you unfairly, you used to say. Uh, you know, in our minds, for some reason, or at least mine, it kind of puts a negative effect on that whole business. You know, That's how we think about it. That, that they treat, they treated you unfairly and you kind of put the whole business in that, their category. And influence is the thinking of that, of that place. And so he, we actually leave behind, we personally leave an influence for the place of business or the thing we work in. I think it works the same as church. You know, people watch. People watch the Christian, they watch the lifestyle during the week to see what it's like. And the influence we are giving off, it not only affects ourselves as we go through life, but it affects the body of Christ. And uh, its ability to work, and uh, in the way we respond to even trials or hardships, I think especially bring that out. And you can read through the read through the martyrs' mirror, the per- persecution there, the early Christians. There was a lot of intense persecution that went on, but during those times, you know the church grew. And that always amazed me as I looked through that. The church grew, and a lot of people seen you know what them people had. There's something there that they had that they knew they were missing. And uh influence influence our lives. And in turn it also influenced the inside. It influenced a lot of the people, the fellow church members that they had there to continue on. You know, that person could do it. And uh, they kept on. And the last one I have is loyalty. And uh you know, with this one, you know, even outside the congregation or in the world, you know, one of the most despised people probably out there is somebody that's a traitor, somebody that's not loyal to their calls and it's uh, someone you know someone that loses trust we lose trust with we lose respect for them uh, whether it's friends or enemies alike it don't really matter if you look just on the outside uh, but then on the flip side you know a man who's loyal you know whether it's a uh, popular stand or whether it's not you know has respect from a lot more people loyalty plays plays a big part and uh, Judas for an example you know he was a well known traitor to us in the bible uh betraying jesus there you know he turned and went and betrayed and, you know don't don't say that's anywhere in the bible but just thinking through logically i'm sure he lost the respect of the disciples and everyone else that are around there you know for what he did there and uh, even if you look at the high priest when he went back to him don't look that they had a whole lot of respect for him either you know he had just turned and, uh, when You know, Paul, on the other hand, uh, is an example of true loyalty. Now, through the various trials, he remained loyal and faithful to that cause of Christ. Now, he was loyal to the work of the church. He was loyal to what God had called him to and to continue on. I hope that's our desire as a, a church that we're loyal to our, uh, to our congregations, the work of the church, the work of, uh, the work of God. And just in, in conclusion, you know, I hope as I studied this, you know, a lot of these here kind of stuck out in different areas that we can work on, that I can work on, and uh, hopefully it was encouraged to you to be a builder, builder in the church, not a hindrance, but to build the congregation, especially here for your congregation in Prairie. Like I said, we enjoyed our time here, and, uh, it's good to be back here and visit again. You know, it's an effort to be able to work together to build together. It takes effort, and, uh, to do that as we look at that, uh, you know, the church is bigger than just ourselves. It's bigger than just our own ideas. It's a body of uh, people working together. And uh, it gives off that their light of Christ that uh, Jesus has or his intentions of it here. In Philippians there, Paul tells them, he says, You are to shine as lights in the world, holding forth that word of life. And hopefully that's our desire today, to hold forth that word of life. To the ones around you, may God bless you. Let's kneel for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, thankful this morning for your presence in our midst. Thank you for each one that is committed to your cause to uh, to come together to worship. Lord, we thank you for being the God that you are, for the Word that you have that we can that we can. Uh, Dig through to apply to our lives the different stories as we study this morning. The stories of faith, the stories of trust and obedience to you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness to mankind, your care for us. And Lord, also, especially in return, that as we as body, bodies of Christ, that our testimonies would be a testimony for you, that our lights would shine to reflect you and who you are. Lord, just pray for the congregation here. Pray that you may unite them in their calls as uh, promoting you to the world around them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.